This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about some of the crazy prices that the Connor Bedard OPG marquee rookie cards are selling for. We're also going to talk about the 2023-24 Tops Hockey Sticker Set, because as you know, I collect stickers. Tim does not. So it should be a very short, one-sided conversation. We're also going to talk about a few other things like Yaramir Yager getting his jersey number 68 retired by the Pittsburgh Penguins and a couple of other odds and ends. So it should be an interesting and exciting show as usual. So anyway, Tim, how are you this uh, past week or how have you been this past week? Oh, you know, if I was any better, vitamins would be taking me. If you were a vitamin, what kind of vitamin would you be? Um, probably vitamin F. Vitamin F? Yeah, I would say so. Vitamin F. Oh, I, I didn't even know such one existed. Probably doesn't. I would make it up. I, I think you would. I, I See, I was expecting you to say vitamin D, which I thought would just be funny, but. Uh... Yeah, I actually take vitamin D supplements. I do too. Everybody's supposed to. Yeah, because, you know, we're humans and we don't get enough sunlight, so. Apparently we don't, but yet we... we... We sit inside all day under fluorescent lights and cook ourselves. So, Opeechee dropped in the middle of last week, and it's usually a set that flies under the radar. Well, normally, maybe not normally, historically, it's come out at the beginning of the season. And then at the end of the season, Upper Deck will stick some update cards in Upper Deck Series 2. I know one year they did an update set that was a standalone set. Another year they did an up, update set that came out in packs, which was a pain in the butt to put together because I think you got, I think packs are like five cards. And I want to say like three of the five cards were inserts or something because it was only like a 200 card set. So there were like a lot of parallels and stuff. You know, and then like starting like I think a year ago, it was coming out more towards like the middle to the end of the season. And now it's like a mid-season release, or at least it is this year. It does have a marquee rookie card of Connor Bedard of the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, is this his first now rookie rookie card that's like showing him with the Blackhawks? like playing for the Blackhawks because he had that upper deck Easter egg card where he's pictured at the draft. And he had that MVP redemption card, which pictured him at the draft. And then I want to say, didn't have his, his artifacts redemption card. Isn't that going to show him in a team Canada Jersey? Or am I confusing that with something else? Well, there was one in the MVP too. That was like that. So yeah, there was one that you could, you could pull for a redemption, but yeah, this is the first major pack out release that he's actually pictured as a hawk in a hawk jersey presumably in game scenario so yeah and people are losing their minds over it which is crazy it's absolutely crazy you look at some of these numbers on this card it's being pulled 
from a base set. Now, yeah, granted, they're short printed, but it's short printed in Opeachy. That means they're one every other pack. So you either get a retro in a pack or you get a marquee rookie in a pack. Or, sorry, not a retro. Uh, a marquee rookie or another high number. It's like it flip flops from pack to pack in most of these boxes. So, yeah, they're short printed, but it's still a base card. It's part, it's numbered as part of the base set. And it's it's absolutely insane. I think when we were talking about this towards the end of last week, the average, and I'm not scientific when I come to this stuff, but I'm just trying to get a ballpark idea. When you looked at closed auctions for this on eBay, just the first like two pages of searches, the base card was selling for an average of $77. $77 for an Opeachy base card what what it, what even is that like seriously just to offer a little context here so uh the 1516 opc connor mcdavid rookie card is around a hundred dollar card could be a little more could be a little less but i mean historically when i've bought it sold it whatever it, it's been around that price so we're talking a an opc rookie of an established NHL superstar, arguably the best player in the game right now. I mean, I wouldn't argue, make that. I would. I would argue that he is. I think most people would argue that he is too right now, like the best player in the league. But um, you know, so his, his marquee rookie from almost ten years ago is going for a hundred bucks, and here's a kid who's played, you know, not even half a season because he's had an injury, and his. Opeachy marquee rookies like a $75 card, just like right out the gate. So yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean Well, and it's not even just that. You know, we talked a show or two ago about how many Bedard cards were gonna be actually in and on the checklist when they released it. And within a week of this being out there, I mean you got 77 on the base card. You've got a hundred. I think it was like 108 on the retro base. Mm-hmm. So here's two essentially the base cards. You got the the main base card and the retro base card. Over 100 bucks. The premier rookie, $102. And that's not even getting into all the parallels. The blue parallel was averaging about 156 bucks. The red parallel, 325. The rainbow foil, 277. There were a couple retro blacks out there, $720. The purple parallel popped up. I say that five times fast. Purple parallel popped up. Somebody had an asking price. It didn't, I didn't see a sale for it yet, but somebody had an asking price of two grand on that thing. Two grand. It's crazy. And even the platinum previews, $93 for that. I mean, it's 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 crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So then there was also, we talked about, there's also the bounty award card. There's the bounty puzzle cards where you collect all nine of them, send them in, you get the redemption card. I mean, people are selling those for 60 bucks up a piece. Somebody had an auction that closed all nine of them sold for $600 for the the redemption. So it's nuts. And then I saw today that all the yellow parallels have started hitting um, auctions now, now that retail is being found 
Um, so the yellow parallels are just available in the retail boxes. But one one that did pop up was the 3D, the lenticular card that kind of moves when you when you twist it like an old sport flex. Um, the 3D marquee are three hundred and six. Sorry, five hundred and sixty five dollars. I started to say three hundred. No, five, five. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy because normally we'd expect a marquee rookie of a very popular sought-after rookie to be in that like ten to twenty dollar range the first season. You know, maybe maybe thirty, but even that's pushing it. I mean, I think about like when I sold black parallels of certain rookie cards. Maybe not like world beaters, you know, but like decent rookie cards and might be like $30, right? So when you say like, what did you say, 500 or some something crazy for a, a, a retro blacks or, okay, so a, a retro black, yeah, I mean, $720 for a retro black and, and... And keep in mind, retro black, so what? It's numbered out of 100. So they're serial numbered. Yes. So there's 100 of those out there. Right. Which isn't a lot, but there's still a hundred of them. Seven hundred dollars? Yeah, it's, Are you it's ser serious. It's crazy, and like the thing is, is that like usually what you find is the desire for the rookie card is here. I'm holding my hand up over my head, and then the desire for the parallels is sometimes a little higher or a little lower, depending on who it is and how the person feels about that, because. You know, someone like me would say, oh, it's the parallel. That's cool. I'll buy it. I like that player. Or it's it's serial numbered. And some people would be like, well, it's not the true rookie card. The true rookie card is not a parallel. It can't be the gold out of 99 because that's not his real rookie card. His real rookie card is, is just the regular one and not the parallel version. So sometimes you have numbered right. parallels sell for less than what a popular rookie card sells for. And then whenever you have that base or excuse me, that rookie year insert card, a lot of times the demand for those falls even lower. So like, I think back to like Kirill Kaprizov, like I had no trouble selling his young gun or some of his more desirable rookie cards. But if it was like a insert card from his rookie year, people just be like, nah, that's not his rookie card. Here it seems to be the opposite, where it doesn't matter. It's a Bedard card. And now people are kind of like thinking, hey, this insert card is harder to get than the base rookie card. And I hate saying base rookie card because we've been trained over the past 20-something years that rookie cards are not base cards. Like when you buy a base set of cards for $20 at a show, you're not getting any of the short prints. You're getting the base set. But now that a lot of these like card investor, flipper, hobby bro types are deciding that that's what they want to call it, it's the base rookie. Meaning it's just the regular rookie and not a parallel, not an insert, not a serial numbered spinoff or whatever. That's kind of the only way we can distinguish it at this point. What do you mean? Because of the fact that there's so many parallels. Right. Because, I mean, all, all of the ones that, you're, that we're looking at so far, none of these are inserts. Like, every one of these is a parallel of something that's part of the main set. 
with the exception of the Platinum Previews, which I don't know if you want to call them inserts, but I guess they're inserts. You know, the bounty cards, of course, are inserts, but they're more or less redemptions and part of that bounty program. So but if you go back to everything else, you know, the rainbow foils, the different parallels, the retros and all of those parallels that I mean, those are all just they're parallels of regular cards. They're not necessarily inserts, per se. I think the premier rookie was probably the only I guess you could call it an insert separate from the regular base set. I wouldn't necessarily think that those are all like the top rookie card. Mm-hmm. Okay. The top rookie. Yeah. That's an insert. Right. Okay. It's not numbered. It's not part of the base set. Any of these that are numbered as part of the base set. Great. You know, the retros. Okay. If you want to call them inserts, sure. But it's, they're a parallel. And then there's parallels of the parallel, just like there always is. I haven't actually opened any OPG yet, so I haven't had a chance to like open all the packs, spread out all the cards and go, wow, look at all these different inserts and parallels and stuff like that. So I know what you mean about parallels. I guess I was kind of basing that more off of my experience of selling a lot of like the Team Canada cards where like he was, he had like a base card in that and then like subset cards in that and like insert cards and like the CHL sets and stuff like that. And those have gone for a lot of money even though a lot of times people wouldn't even think, oh, it's an insert. I don't want it. I just want like the main card in that set. So pretty much anything with with him on it, I guess what I'm saying, has been desirable. There's something to be said for that because this is a split. If you look at these cards, if they're part of the base, if they're the photo from the base or the retro, it's him as a Blackhawk. But if you look at the Platinum Previews, including all of the various inserts, he's in Team Canada. So he's in a Team Canada uniform, everything. If you look at the wood, like there's the wood variant that a few of those have popped up for like $500. He's in Team Canada. So there's like a mix. So you got either either or going here. But it doesn't seem to be deterring it on the price-wise on either side. And again, it's new. There's nothing else out there. This was like the first shot at getting this. But I go back to what we've been talking about all along. Like we talked about the SP1 card. Get your bag on that now because you're not going to be able to later. You know, those MP, MVP redemptions. If you've got them and you're not, a, you, you don't want to, you know, you're not a huge Bedard fan and you got to hang on to it, dump it now. Because when March 6 hits, and series two is out. The young gun is going to destroy everything that came before it. Do you think, though, that it could maybe have the opposite effect? And it's kind of like the more cards of his are out there, the more people will collect his cards and the more people will want his other cards. Now, my opinion on this is that. I still think 75% of this is being driven by speculation. I know when we talked about the game dated moments and I said 1,199, you know, copies of this card, we'll just say 1,200. And you said to me, wait a minute, Sal, there's got to be at least 1,200 Connor Bedard fans out there. And I said, yeah, that is absolutely true. But I feel that like every time Upper Deck puts up a game dated moment and it sells out in eight minutes, I want to say a lot of people buying those cards are not fans. And I feel like a lot of people buying and selling these cards aren't necessarily fans. They're investors who are buying the thing because it's worth money and they think it's going to be worth more money. So 
I don't know. That's kind of like my thought anyway. I mean, you're going to you get that in any sport with any prospect. Everybody's looking to cash in on what's what's popular and everything else. That's the whole other side to this is there's that aspect of the investment side of it or the money-making side of it. And you're right. The fact that this was out less than three days and you had like seven pages of auctions for this card. If you do a base search on eBay and you just look at closed auctions and you put in nothing simpler than 2324 Opeachy Bedard, it's all you put in. There's 750 closed auctions, sold auctions. 750. This stuff's been out for what, a week? It came out last Tuesday, I think. Wednesday, maybe? Wednesday the 7th, yeah. Yeah. There's 750 sales for that just that search now there might be a few things here and there that don't fit that category but for the most part that's where this is sitting already in less than a week and it's breakers opening case upon case upon case of this i mean i saw people posting on twitter about opening up multiple like six cases or 10 cases another person put six had 16 cases first of all I don't know where they're getting allocation like this, but because my local card shop, they can't, they can't barely get anything. Um, but again, it's the whole volume. You know, you got breakers that are buying pallets worth of this stuff and they're just busting it all open. And all of this is just flooding out there onto the market. So again, I know you don't want to use the word base because it is short printed. So let's call it the short printed base card of his rookie. I mean, come on now. There's going to be thousands? Tens of thousands? I I don't know. I don't know what the print run is. I mean, Upper Deck never tells us, but, you know, it's safe to probably say that because this is an OPG release. And OPG gets put out there in hobby form. It gets put out in retail form. It gets put out in blasters. It's out there in fat packs. You know, so there's multiple ways to get this and multiple type print runs that's packed out. So this card's going to be all over the stinking place. So, you know, to your point of does a rising tide raise all ships? I don't think it will. It may for a minute, but I think what's going to happen is that young gun's going to hit and that's going to be what everybody's chasing. I mean, look, we already know what everybody's going after, right? It's the gold, the gold young gun, the one of one. You know, that's the big card. And if somehow, some way that hits the first day this is out there, that's going to diminish box prices a little bit, which will help the consumer that wants to not spend a billion dollars for a box. But me, when I build Opeachy every year and I buy four or five boxes, well, I buy four or five boxes at 60, 70 bucks. I'm not out there buying four and five boxes at, hundred dollars, which is what these were on release day. Now they're up to one ten. In some places, one twenty. Because now it's like, oh, we're out of stock, and then all of a sudden, the next day, oh, we just got a few more back in stock. Oh, but the price went up five bucks, and then oh, we're out of stock, and then you get an alert. Oh, we just got three more back in, but the price went up five bucks. So it's like, I understand what you're doing. You're matching this the price with the demand i get it i understand how 
economics work. Uh, most people should. But to see this happen, I, I mean, I don't recall even with McDavid and OPG, I don't recall it being like this in the beginning. I really don't. This is just crazy to me. So what's going on now? You were telling me about this. There were some pre-sales going on with Bedard's Young Gun, which hasn't come out yet because Series 2 hasn't come out yet. The speculated release date or announced release date, presumptive release date, whatever you want to say is is March 6th, but people are already pre-selling his Young Gun, but then eBay started canceling those auctions, so what's the story there? Okay, people pre-sell stuff all the time, especially breakers. Breakers pre-sell a lot. I mean, that's that's common practice. You get a release, you know you're getting allocation, you pre-sell so you have it ready to go by the time you get stock in. Okay, I get it, but there were pre-sales for the Bedard Young Gun and all all different facets and versions of it. And then all of a sudden, when you would try to look at like the history on some of them, because some of the auctions actually closed. When you go back in and try to look at the background history of them, a bunch of the notes in there would say, this auction, this auction was taken down or something of that nature. I, don't know, I saw somebody post on Twitter about this and I started fishing around. So essentially, they pull these down because of a policy violation, is what it was. I know, shocking. eBay actually has a policy for pre-sales. And one of those is you have to guarantee that the item is going to ship within 40 days. So, as we've seen, the release date's been pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed for Series 2. I mean, we started in January, we ended up in February, now we have March 6th. So guaranteeing that time frame in order to be able to send it, I don't think there could be any shipping guarantee to that. So that's one reason. And that has to be clearly stated in the listings for this. So I think eBay may have been cracking down on that. I don't know, but it's just interesting that, that you see not only is everybody taking full advantage of the fact that the Opeachy cards are out there, but they're already trying to get a jump on selling the, the young guy. And um, the two auctions that I saw, just in case you're wondering, were for base young guns. Both of them closed over $700. So we were saying that this could be the $1,000 young gun. Well, there you go. Awfully close. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I know that... Uh eBay does have certain rules about things, which I won't get into. I don't know all of them off the top of my head. Well, I had to look this one up because I didn't know. Well, I, I do remember there being pre-sales of cards, but usually they'd be cards that were coming out pretty soon, like within the month or less. You know what I mean? Like you, you and, and, and pre-COVID times too. Like again, not to keep using McDavid as an example, but Connor McDavid was such a trendsetter, like, you think about like rookie card trendsetters, you know, you'd have to mention Eric Lindros, of course, because I think he's the OG hockey rookie card trendsetter. You'd have to mention Crosby and maybe to a lesser extent Ovechkin, but really Crosby. You'd have to mention McDavid and now Bedard. Those are the players whose rookie cards like changed hockey collecting. 
right? So I remember with McDavid, I remember his card pre-selling. He was in Series 1. So, like, it was going to come out, and it was, like, eminent. You know what I mean? So it was, you know, that's like when Upper Deck would say, this set is coming out November 10th, and it would come out November 10th, you know? And it wasn't like... We think it's coming out November 10th, and then that becomes January 30th. Right. Anybody that sees the newsletter and sees the release calendar every week knows that what the heck is going on. Because every week there's stuff moved, there's stuff changed, there's dates changed. We try to update it as best we can each week, but it's just funny to go through every week, and we always mark it all in red. And it's some weeks it's okay, and a week later... The whole entire page will be bleeding because everything's been bumped. But, you know, the closer we get to, you know, a flagship product coming out that's going to create this much buzz and already has this much push behind it, it's inevitable that anything, if it hasn't come out yet, it's just getting pushed further and further away. I think the the next one on the docket is clear cut. It's supposed to come out this week of, of our recording. I think it's slated for Valentine's Day. And then... Platinum is still on the list, and I think the, the the Star Rookie box set and I believe Black Diamond were all listed originally at February 28th. That's less than a week before Series 2. Do those come out? Or do they push them till after? I don't know. I guess we'll see. So, Regarding the, the newsletter and the release calendar, it's Tim who painstakingly maintains that. I don't have the mental bandwidth to keep track of that. And every week, Tim somehow digs around and figures out like what products release dates have been moved. But he even like will look in like three different places, see who's got the who's got the most reliable information, and then go with that release date over another one. I mean, that's that's like above and beyond, man. Full disclosure on that, I mean, if people wonder where it comes from, I look at generally about four of the major online card retailers. And you can make your own distinction as to who I'm talking about, but I think most people could figure that out. I'd love to go to the manufacturer and just pull off a manufacturer date, but as we all know, they're not very good about that. Leaf will generally post dates. Upper Deck, not so much. So you kind of have to rely on the distributors and the retailers and the information that they're provided by the manufacturers and the distributors to say that, hey, you're going to have your allocation on this date. And generally speaking, there are some that are more accurate than others. So I get a general idea of what's going on and I adjust accordingly. That's how I do it. Nothing scientific. It's just sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it takes me five minutes. Speaking of Upper Deck, uh, they're doing their fourth annual My MVP contest. I'll post a link to the contest page in the notes, or you can Google Upper Deck My MVP. But basically what it is, is you can nominate yourself or someone else as, you know, the, the best fan or the biggest fan of a certain team. And they're going to do this for all 32 teams. And then, like, the grand prize, after they vote, like, the best Coyotes fan and the best Brooms fan and the best whatever fan, then then they're going to do, like, a vote. And then the winner of that gets two tickets to a Stanley Cup playoff game. 
travel voucher, a night stay at a hotel, and their own upper deck trading card that will be inserted into packs of a set next year. So this is how you can actually appear on like a legit card that gets put into packs and not just be some sad blogger slash podcaster who prints cards of himself playing hockey. I didn't say that out loud, did I? You know who I'm talking about. Who would do such a thing? But uh, anyway, so you could you could find out more about that at their website for that. Do you want to talk about your little sleuthing adventure? So last week we talked about 9394. FLIR Ultra. We did a retrospective about that for the 93-94 season. And after we were done recording, Tim was like, hey, you know, there's one card we didn't mention in our podcast that's listed on Trading Card DB. And then we got into this whole like side conversation about it. So you want to fill in our listeners about that? Because that seems kind of interesting. Yeah, so there's a um, there's a Gretzky card that strangely enough shows up on the checklist for i think the inserts is the page that it appears on yeah Mm -hmm. it's on the insert page yes so now it's not just on trading card database because this is also listed on the beckett list as well so if you look up 9394 ultra um there is a card number C3C that is designated as a Wayne Gretzky Los Angeles Kings card. And in both locations, it has a, a little mark underneath that says two out of 10. Whether that means February 10th as a date, or whether that means there were 10 and it's serial number to two, which would make no sense because it would just say out of 10. We don't know. And it's this big, it was this big mystery as to where this came from. Now, I think a lot of the information on trading card database came from people pulling checklists elsewhere because most of trading card database is user submitted data. So I think it originated in Beckett and then somebody found it and added it later on. Because if you actually look at the entry in trading card database, it wasn't added until 2020 by a user. Now, it wasn't just like some fly-by-night user either. It was somebody that's got a pretty high rating on there that's been around for a while. So it wasn't just somebody trying to do something for cloud or whatever. So this is on Beckett too. So we kind of like had this discussion, like you and I were talking about it, and neither of us have ever seen it before. So I've got a couple Gretzky collectors that I communicate with fairly frequently that listen to the show one of them who i've mentioned him before john malone i asked him he collects gretzky cards and i was like hey you ever seen this card before or do you have it in your collection and he's like i have all of the gretzkys from that ultra set i'm like but do you have this one and i pointed to where it was at and he looks it up and we kind of went back and forth about it and essentially it was like somebody's got to figure out what the heck this thing is because nobody knows so fast forward that uh it got thrown into a couple gretzky collector groups on facebook and kind of manifested itself from there um so essentially long story short 
the consensus is that this card does not exist. Don't know if it was an error. Somebody put it in as an entry error. Don't know if it may have been something that was on a list somewhere that was coded wrong and it just got copied and pasted somehow. We don't really know. But the consensus with everybody is somehow, some way, it got put on a Beckett list by mistake. So unless somebody comes along at some point between now and eternity and says, guess what? You're wrong. I have this card. And we have physical evidence that it exists. The expert deferral opinion is that that was an error and it's not a real thing. Beckett has errors in its online checklist, online price guide. I've contacted them before about fixing errors on their site and they haven't. And then after a while, I just stopped doing it because they never really did anything about it. I mean, I'd say I have this set and you're missing four cards that are in the set and and they would never do anything about it. Like I could provide images of these cards because I have them. You know, they just never do anything about it. So you just kind of get tired. So honestly, like I put my, if I'm going to put any effort into anything, it's always to make trading card database better. I've submitted images. I've submitted checklists, trivia, links, packaging, sell sheets and ads, all of the stuff. If I have it and I can kind of like, do it, I'll do it. You know, I'm not going to spend a year scanning an entire set, but if I have something rare, you know, I'll scan it and put it up there. I think honestly, this is just a, uh, just a mistake that just got copied from like one source to another. That's pretty much what the consensus is. Look, when one of the people involved in this search was Jeff Griffith, who, if you don't know who that is, he's probably one of the biggest Gretzky collectors out there been featured in tons of articles he's even written a book on Gretzky cards and stuff like that and when he says it doesn't exist I would tend to believe him because I know enough I don't know that much and you know you got to defer to the experts and that's what we came up with so even though we maybe thought we found some kind of hate to use the term holy grail of a card alas Maybe it is the Holy Grail, because as far as we know, it doesn't exist. So there you go. So we got the Stadium Series coming up this weekend. We got a game on Saturday, a game on Sunday, if you're still excited about outdoor games. And then we had the announcement that the Winter Classic for 2025 will be in Chicago at Wrigley Field. Surprise, surprise, we can watch the Blackhawks try not to finish third to last next season when they play the Blues in the Winter Classic. What do you think of that? Well, hopefully Connor Bedard will be healed by then and won't get re-injured because they're really kind of just putting a Winter Classic in Chicago because of one player. I mean, yeah. Although... To be fair, the 0809 Winter Classic was in Wrigley Field, and Kane and Taves had only been playing in the league for a year. So Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane had only been on the team since the 07 08 season. 
But the Blackhawks made a pretty big push at the end of the year, and they didn't make the playoffs, and then Kane was named Rookie of the Year. And so, like, the Blackhawks were like an up-and-coming team in 08-09. They were exciting that, you know, they made the playoffs that year, so they weren't like a last-place team. But I don't know. I mean, am I excited about it? Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's always cool that the Blackhawks are involved in a Winter Classic. But... I could see how people would be tired of it, just like people were tired of the Penguins and the Capitals. Although the Penguins and the Capitals were always exciting teams. So even though maybe we're like, oh, we're tired of the Penguins, but damn, they have a good team. Or, oh, we're tired of the Capitals, but damn, they have a good team. And Ovechkin's exciting, right? And I just look right now and like the Blackhawks are like a last place, like literally the last place in the league or close to it. And they're not going to get much better next year. I mean, unless they get the first overall pick again, which is looking good. And why, why shouldn't they? And then they'd what draft who uh, Macklin Celebrini. So maybe they'll get two first overall picks in a year. Kind of like the oh, oil did. No, no way they're going to tank more than San Jose does. I don't know, There's man. There's no they're, way. They're, they're tanking pretty hard right now. I mean, maybe the lottery gods will be in their favor again because, I mean, come on. The Penguins had, like, first overall picks, what, like three years in a row? They had a, they had a few in the early 2000s. Flurry was first, Crosby was first, and Malkin was second. So, I mean, come on, right? And then the Oilers had, what, like, 19 in a row? No, I'm kidding. They had, like, what, like... Taylor Hall and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and um, obviously Connor McDavid, but I'm trying to think. I feel like they had one other first overall pick in there somewhere that I'm forgetting about, but maybe oh, the, not. The Oilers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They had, um, what, was, what was his name? He didn't work out too well. Neil Yakupov. Really? I, you know, I was yeah. going to say Neil Yakupov, but then I'm thinking, no, he couldn't have been a first overall pick. Yeah. Taylor Hall went. Yep. Then it was the Nuge. Yep. Uh, Yakupov was in 2012. Mm-hmm. I think that was it after that. Because, like, Darnell Nurse was a first round, but that was, like, the seventh or eighth pick. Right. Dreisaitl was first round, but that was, like, third. And then McDavid was after that. So. I mean, that's not too shabby for third. Come on. I mean. Yeah. So what I'm saying, though, is, like, you look at like a lot of these teams that are championship teams, they had to suck pretty hard for a couple of years. They didn't just get one great player and that turned them around. They almost need to get like two or three high draft picks in a row by high. I mean like top three, but really like a number one in there at least once. Yeah. You can't win with a superstar. You got to give them a supporting cast. Right. Nobody can win by themselves. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, look, it's taken McDavid, you can see it. It's taken McDavid this long. He still has, he doesn't have a cup, you know? And it took, I mean, it took Iserman, what, 14 years before he won a cup finally? From 83, 84 to 96, 97. Took Ovechkin that long, too. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to have a supporting cast. You can't just be like one superstar. You can't just be one flower in a rock garden, right? Right. That's what my senior year English teacher used to say in high school. You know, the flowers in the rock garden. There'd be that one or two kids that are just like super bright and blow through the class and everybody else just sits there with drool coming down the side of their mouth. So I guess the bigger thing with it, when we go to these winter classic things, I think the biggest rub 
to a lot of people is the fact that Chicago's getting another outdoor game. And they've already had a, a few. I think this will be, what, their seventh outdoor game that they've played in? And the third or fourth one in Chicago? I mean, I can't keep track anymore. I know they had Wrigley Field in 2009. I know they had the stadium series against the Penguins, I think, in 2014. That was at Soldier right. Field. They had the Winter Classic um, against the Bruins at uh, Notre Dame. They had uh, they had one against the Blues. So they had one against the Blues, one against the Bruins, one against the Penguins, one against the Red Wings. Like I said, I, I can't even remember all of them. They had one against the Wild. Yeah, so I think that's kind of what the rub is. It's like there's all these other NHL cities and even subsidiary cities around the bigger areas that could potentially have places that they could do these. I mean, like you even said, I mean, they went all the way out to South Bend to do the Notre Dame game. Um, so, you know, there's other venues that are available and they can go to, and they just – they keep sticking them in Chicago. I mean, I, I don't care really. I think outdoor games are fun regardless of where they're at. And this one coming up on the weekend, I think is a cool setup. The the whole event over the weekend, you know, with the games being played, where they had MetLife Stadium, I think. The big thing to this has been getting the jerseys, the outdoor game stadium series jerseys that they made. They weren't available. You couldn't order them in time. So the only way to get them was to like go to the team shops in the stadiums. So they were opening up games an hour or an hour and a half before normal ticket time for gate opening. So people could go into the pro shops and buy these stadium series jerseys. That's kind of crazy, especially considering the Islanders one is, ugh, I don't like it. We got a really short window for these things. I mean, you're going to get all the hype before the stadium series people are going to buy it because it's new and different and it's for this upcoming game or games or whatever but then after that happens it kind of becomes old news unless the team reprises it next year kind of like how the penguins would reprise their um didn't they reuse their 0708 winter classic jerseys the powder blue ones with the white shoulders i feel like those were worn a few times they had them as a third jersey a couple times. And then they had a hybrid version where they took some of the patches off and made them slightly different. Well, but they kept it in the public eye so people be like, oh, yeah, that jersey, I like it. Not, oh, that jersey that they wore for one game. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're going to get more sales before the game and then after the game it just kind of becomes old news, which is why I never really understood why people would buy jerseys that are only wore for one game that's really just a regular season game. You know, even like the all-star jerseys back in the day when they were the Halloween uniforms, the black and the orange and, and the white, they wore those jerseys every year. You know, they just flip-flopped if it was going to be Campbell or Wales or East or West Conference, right? So if you got one, it was good for like the next year and the year after that. And now they change the all-star jerseys every year. So you wear one and you go, mm, what year is that from? That might be from... 2016 is it from 2017 is it from 2014 i'm not sure what year did they add the neon green under the armpits you know what i mean like it just you kind of lose track of it a little bit well you saw these ones right mm -hmm. you saw what they look like mm -hmm. so like the one for the flyers and the devils they're okay the devil's one is 
it's all right. The Flyers one is pretty white, but the logo, like the, the Philly logo, is really big on the front. The Rangers Islanders ones. The Rangers one I don't mind. It's like NYR diagonally. Mm-hmm. Block letters. So it's kind of cool. It stands out. It's got good bright colors. But the Islanders one, ugh, I don't like that one at all. I just don't like that one at all. Apparently, the idea of it came from, like, the subway or something. Mm-hmm. Like, the signs in the subway. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was something like that. But it's just weird. It's it's like one orange stripe right across the middle, and it says aisles. And the stripe carries over into the sleeves. So, there's sleeve stripes. And it's like a real dark blue top and bottom. It's just not eye-appealing to me. So, the stripe on the middle continues onto the sleeve. So if they were standing with their arms at their side, it would look like it continued, right? Yeah, I think it might be a little bit thinner, but it still it looks like it goes the whole way across. You know who did that impeccably well? Not the Islanders. No, I'll tell you. It was uh, Team Finland in the uh, 2014 Winter Olympics. Their jersey looked like the Finnish flag. So it had the vertical stripe going like up one, you know, like up the one shoulder and down. And then it had the horizontal stripe that went through the middle and it also continued on either arm. So if the player was standing like for the anthem, their jersey kind of looked like the flag. It was pretty cool. I liked it. I really dug it. Yeah. Usually I don't care one way or another and I don't mind, you know, what they look like. But man, something about that Islanders one, it just, I don't know. I don't like it. I just don't like it. It just looks so weird to me. Like I said, the, the Rangers one pops. You know, the Devils one, I get it. And the, the the Flyers one, I mean, the Flyers don't change that much. They kind of stay more or less true to the same design. To each their own. It's just, a, I mean, it's a money-making thing for the NHL. I just find it weird that they announce these things so far into the game, and it's like no, their distributors can't get these out to people ahead of time. Yeah, I'm looking at the Islanders one now, and it it well, looks kind of like a beer league jersey. Honestly, it looks yeah, it's just eh, it's just uh, weird. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about your boy Yarmir Yager getting his number retired. Since absolutely, he's not going to retire, so I guess they just have to go ahead and like retire his number because if they waited for him to retire, they'd have to wait till he was dead, right? And that's no fun. Where's the fun in that? Better to do it while the players are still alive. I mean, yes, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, the dude still works out as an, and is in great shape and still plays competitively, you know, plays for the team that he owns. He's going to be around for a while, I think. Well, look, and the fact that it's the Penguins that's retiring his number. I mean, we all know about the tour de Yager that took place where he bounced around from team to team once he finally came back after the lockout. After the lockout and after he decided he wanted to play again. And we'll play here again because he was playing play in here the again. NHL. Yeah, playing the yeah. NHL, right. I love the fact that the Penguins are finally acknowledging. I mean, there was some, you can call it bad blood, you know, there towards the end. You know, he wanted to go. He didn't think he could do anything else there. And he wanted to go. And, you know, it was like a whole big thing. You know, the Penguins don't take number retirements lightly. You, you think back to some of the teams that they had and sure you know 1967 they're obviously not one of the older teams in the league but coming up through the 70s they didn't really have a whole lot to speak of only made the playoffs a few times you get into the 80s they were 
horrid. They get Lemieux. And they were still pretty bad for many, many years. I think a lot of people forget that. He was like the one lone bright spot on a team that was still toiling. And not until they built, again, like we were talking, they built a team around him. Just so happens that it was full of future Hall of Famers. So they don't retire a lot of numbers. The only ones that are retired are Mario's number and Michelle Briere. That's it. So 66 and 21. Why don't you explain why Michelle Briere's numbers retired? Because I don't think all of our listeners would know that. Yeah, I mean, Michelle Briere was like a, a really, really promising, promising, you know, young prospect uh, in the NHL. So this is going back to like 69, 70. And after his rookie season, uh, he was involved in a car accident and he got some pretty major head trauma from the accident, had to go through multiple brain surgeries, basically ended up in a coma as a result of it and, and passed away. But, you know, they subsequently retired his number, you know, kind of as a tribute to him. So, yeah, I mean, he's him and Mario. That's it. Those are the only numbers that the Penguins have, have retired. So, you know, considering all the Hall of Famers that have played for that team and uh, they're bringing Yager back. And he's going to be there February 18th. They're doing this. They had a whole big thing. They posted videos on social media that were kind of funny where he was getting a phone call. You saw this phone buzzing and it was the penguins calling. And then you see the hand come and pick up the phone and then they back out the camera and there's Yager on the phone. So that was kind of cool. But most hockey fans know who Yager Yager is. I mean, he doesn't need, I don't need to have a, give a background about him. I mean, he's, he won multiple cups with the Penguins. You know, his r- rookie year coming into the league, he was a phenom. He was picked by the Penguins. He's got that famous uh, upper deck card with him and Craig Patrick standing there on the card. And he had the wicked hair and a penchant for buying blue jeans and all of that kind of stuff. Would float around town in Pittsburgh and people came to know him. And he was well-loved in the city. I mean, the fans loved the guy. Uh, and he was a great player. I mean, and it's just cool that they're identifying the fact that he was such a legend for the team. And to throw that 68 up in the rafters, I think, is it's going to be great. It's going to be a good night. It's going to be fun to watch. And you're right. He's still playing. He doesn't play every night, but he's still playing. So it'll be cool. And I like it. It cements his legacy. I think with the Penguins, they did have a lot of Hall of Famers play for them, but it seems like a lot of the guys like ended their career in Pittsburgh or made a pit stop, pun intended, in Pittsburgh, or they started their career, but then they moved on elsewhere. Like you think of like Mark Recchi. Mark Recchi had a couple of great seasons with the Penguins, but then he moved on to the Flyers and a bunch of other teams, right? He did. Then he came back to the Penguins later on. He played with Crosby. Or like Paul Coffey, I mean, he did a lot of great things with the Penguins, but I mean, arguably, maybe he had more success with the Oilers. I mean, more individual success with the Edmonton Oilers. And then then he played for a bunch of teams afterwards. So I guess I'm just saying it's like, it's easy with somebody like Mario because he played his whole career with one team. So it's, you know, even if he spent the last two years of his career somewhere else, it would still be like a no-brainer. Like, yeah, he should get his number retired. And, you know, so that's that's not it. That's not the problem. But, yeah, when a guy plays, like you said, what, 10 seat? Was he, he was there from what, till 102? 
no, see, think, uh, yeah, 2001, 2002, right? Or 3, 4, something like that? Yeah, when he went to the Capitals. Yeah. 11 seasons, from 91 to 01. So he had 1,079 points for them. So he that was the most in Penguins history behind Lemieux at that point. Mm-hmm. Now he's behind Lemieux, Crosby, and Malkin. But he's still fourth on the Penguins list of all-time scorers. And he's second in NHL history with 1,921 points. I'm sure if he could come back to the league and play two more years, he could probably get that over 2,000. Even Yager at this age, he's still probably better than about a quarter of the players in the league. Which is sad to say, but it's true. But he's not going to take fourth line minutes, and that's why he left the no. NHL. And that that's right. that. Otherwise, he'd still be playing. Um, and there's always the what if. What if he didn't go to the KHL? Because that seems just like such a weird thing to do. Like when he left and played in Russia for a couple of years. It was like, why? You're still like a really good NHL player. But, you know, sometimes it's money. You know, like, do you want to make... Two million playing in the NHL, or do you want to make six million playing in Russia? Hmm, kind of a no-brainer, I guess. You know, if if you're not chasing records. Well, the last time he was in the NHL was in December of 2017, so that was when he was playing for Calgary, and at that point he was already 45. So I'm just excited to see like how many people show up to this event. Yeah, it's always like this is your life, and this was your line mate in your first season in the NHL. And well, because here's the thing: you think about how long he's been gone from. So he, how long he's been gone from the Penguins? How long he's been gone from the league? He's still a legend. If he ever decides to hang up the skates, he's going into the Hall of Fame. There's no doubt about that. But the Penguins haven't done this for so long. But now they're owned by a different company. I mean, they're owned by Fenway Sports Group now. And Fenway Sports Group, I don't know. It depends on what you read, but I feel like they kind of did Mario a little dirty in that whole setup of changing over ownership of the team and all that kind of stuff. So I really hope Mario's there. I really hope some of the guys from those 90s teams show up to kind of celebrate because I think that'd be a really cool kind of big event reunion type thing. So but we'll see. We'll see. It should be fun. The team gets a win, too, because they need one badly. Yeah, it'll be exciting. Uh, I, and then the following Sunday, Chicago, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks are retiring. Chris Chelios is number seven, which is funny because there have been players who've worn it since him. But, you know, again, falling out with the team and ownership and stuff. I mean, I guess that's the thing. The team needs to be bought and sold enough times that whoever's holding the grudge against the player is no longer on the team holding the grudge against the player. Yeah, so one weekend, your guy's getting his number retired. The next weekend, my guy's getting his number retired. So, cool. Always fun when we have jersey retirement ceremonies. It's interesting that you got a nine, though, right? They're retiring the nine. The nine? Chelios' number? Seven. Seven, sorry. So they're retiring seven. Seven's like, I think a lot of guys have worn seven, have they not? In the team history yeah. or just in general? I think it's a common number. Well, I mean, back in the day, you didn't have numbers higher than 30. One was the goalie. Two through seven were defensemen. Maybe two through eight were defensemen. And then like nine through 18 were forwards. And then like you'd have like 
numbers in like the twenties and, and those would be like, your kind of like your, your call-ups or your second stringers or whatever. And then like when you had two goalies, you'd have like one and 30. And so you didn't really have numbers higher than, than that. So yeah. So you had a lot of guys wear seven because it was just a number that you were issued. I mean, Bobby Hull wore seven at one time. Phil Esposito wore seven on the Blackhawks as well. So I guess what I was getting at is when I hear the number seven, the first person I think of is not necessarily Chelios. I'm sure it is for you. On the Blackhawks. Just in general. Who cares in general? We're talking about the Blackhawks. We're not talking about who do you think of when you hear number 19, you know? I mean. When I hear number 68, I think of no one other than Yager. Because no one but Yager wore that number. That's a false equivalence, my friend. Not true. 19 different skaters have worn that. But who cares? I know Palfy had it on the Islanders. Okay. Ziggy, he's cool. But But I can't think of anybody else that wore it. No, it's not an iconic number like 99, 66, 88, or even 9, which is popular for a couple of different players. I mean, probably Gordy Howe and Maurice Richard would be the only two that people would argue about is which one is better. That wore that. Well, I'm not saying there's a, a equivalent to either one. I'm simply saying that retiring a seven versus retiring a sixty eight that nobody else ever wore, it's a lot easier. You dump a seven and it's gone. That's why I like with the Canadians, how they retire like everybody's number. So it's like, how many numbers do you have to choose from now? You got ninety nine numbers and you can't use ninety nine, so there's ninety eight and you've retired like thirty seven of the other ones. So what's left? So you got to pick from the, the the lower numbers. Seven seems like a much more common number, or, or the higher numbers, and and you go, you know what? Damn it! I'm just going to be the best number, eighty-seven. No, wait, crap! That that number can't be used. Uh, I'm yeah. just going to be the the best number, uh, fifty-three to ever play for this team, right? Yeah. Oh, it's weird. The whole jersey retirement thing sometimes is weird to me. I think that's why teams have to get selective about, like, really selective about it now. Like, the Blackhawks made all these rules about how long the player had to play on the team in order to be considered for retirement, and that, like, the bulk of his success had to be with the Blackhawks. So it can't be like this guy did great things elsewhere and then came to the Blackhawks for a few seasons. And even though he's like a legend, so like when the Blackhawks signed Connor McDavid as a free agent, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, and then he helps the team win three Stanley Cups, well, they might consider that because he helped the team win three Stanley Cups. So I I don't know. But yeah, teams have their rules and... Yeah, it's interesting sometimes how how that happens. I think I read something when I was looking at the information about this, that there's like 122 retired numbers throughout the NHL, which kind of surprised me that it was that high. Yeah, I guess so. But you got to think like the Bruins and the Habs probably account for quite a few of those. And the Leafs. Yeah, I guess like your original six teams. The Blackhawks are terrible about retiring numbers. They... From 1926 to 1998, they only retired like five numbers, which I guess is a lot by then, but that was all between like 1980 and 2000, you know, like in a 20 year span and nothing in the, like the prior 45 years or whatever. Yeah. What would you have? What would you do if you you just keep retiring numbers? You then have to like unretire them. You run out of numbers. 
Start adding decimal points. Use fractions, maybe? I'd like to be number 7.1. I'll be the square root of 8. I like that, yeah. <laughs> or, 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 or like, yeah, I like that. The, the, the square root or, or like, uh, or I want to be, I can't wear number nine. So I'm going to wear three to the third power. Right. And that would there be like go. number nine. Right. Like it's do exponents. Right. A big three. And then a little three. Yeah. But then on the shoulder, you'd have the, 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 a little three and then a tiny three. Cause like the shoulder number would be like the same size as the little three on the chest or sorry, on yeah. the back thinking of football jerseys oops but you know what i mean like yeah that'd be that'd be funny then when upper, upper deck cuts up a jersey you might be able to fit the whole number in the little box yeah yeah i like that so why don't we talk stickers can we talk quick talk stickers sure if you'd like to i'd like to i'd like to talk about the 23 24 tops hockey sticker set i have been an avid collector of hockey stickers since the 88-89 season halfway through that year when I got into hockey I went to my local supermarket and they had the Panini hockey sticker album that had Mario Lemieux pictured on the cover I collected the Panini set that year I collected them pretty regularly until the mid-90s then Panini only made their stickers in Europe. They stopped making their hockey stickers in North America. And then eventually they came back. And then around the late 2010s, they lost the license to make stickers. Tops picked up the license to make NHL stickers. And I've been collecting their book every year. Although I've been collecting the Panini books since they started coming back uh, in North America in 2008, 2009. So my point is, is, I like sticker albums. They're worthless in the grander scheme of things to most collectors because they want a rookie card, not a rookie sticker. Although now I think a lot of the people are kind of catching on like, hey, this Mario Lemieux rookie sticker is actually kind of cool. And it's something that came out during his rookie year, or not his rookie season, but the next season when his rookie cards came out. So I like top stickers. Like we said last year when we talked about top stickers, it's not for the meek because it's going to be kind of expensive to put a set together. It is a 685 sticker set. Compare that to most upper deck sets. I mean, I only think upper deck series one, series two, and extended are bigger now than this, or maybe Opeachy, depending on how many update cards they put out in the set. A pack of five stickers costs a dollar. You get five stickers in a pack. Four of them are just regular stickers. One is a foil sticker that's shiny. A box has 50 packs. You could usually get a box cheaper than a dollar a pack if you buy the full box. You could pretty much get them for about $45. I think around Christmas time, I picked up boxes for about $45 each. The album is 84 pages costs $1.99 and it's full color. So it's, you know, it's a nice looking album. And this is my opinion of the set. I like it, but you've heard the expression, business in the front, party in the back. Yep. I've heard it. That applies to the top sticker set because one through 544 are the team stickers. Just, just team stickers, right? Like you get 17 stickers per team. You get a foil logo sticker, 
You get a season highlight sticker. You get three additional foil uh, foil stickers. So there's four foils total on each team. Usually it's two star players and one mascot. But in the case of the Red Wings and the Rangers, they don't have a mascot. I know the Red Wings have Al, but I guess he's not an official mascot or whatever. So they have three players instead of uh, uh, two players and a mascot. Uh, and then you have 12 regular stickers. So it's very, just very business-like, like logo, highlight, three foil stickers, other page. It's like just regular stickers of all the players. There's a nice uniformity to each two-page spread, right? You know, and then they have like a big color picture of the superstar. But then the party in the back is the last 141 stickers, or the back of the sticker album is where it gets fun. Because then you have stickers 545 to 576 are team captains. 577 to 582 are foil stickers called Iced Out, which are just excuses to make more superstar stickers. 583 to 591 are all-stars from the uh, all-star game, the past year's all-star game. And then 592 to 611 are more all-stars. But what's nice about these is that they look like the 91-92 Tops hockey set all-star cards from from that year. You collected 91-92, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you remember this design. Yep. They used it on their skate app, too. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. So you have you have all stars. And then six twelve to six thirty-one are uh rookies, and those use the eighty-four eighty-five tops design where you have an action photo and then a little headshot photo in the corner. Uh then you have stickers six thirty-two to six fifty-one are top shelf talents, which look like award plaques. Just an excuse to make more all-stars, but they're star players, but that's fine. 652 to 661 are the great outdoors. 662 to 670 are hockey hair, which has kind of like a 80s vibe to it. It has a very like kind of like a Miami Vice look to the um like the background of the page has like a giant palm tree, and then like the pictures of the players. Actually, almost all of them have their helmets on, so you kind of don't really see it that much. They see their hair that much, but some of them are helmetless pictures, so that's kind of a cool subset. And then you have speed demons, which are just players with motion blurs applied to them. It looks like fire behind them or whatever. And then the last six are foil sticker pieces of the Stanley Cup. So, like I said, it's 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 like business in the front, and then you have your more fun stickers in the back. I like sticker sets. I will admit that, I mean, I spent about 180 buying four boxes. That gave me 1,000 stickers. And I want to say that I was about a, maybe less than 100 stickers shy. The collation was pretty good. I might have only needed about 40 or 50 stickers, honestly. I'll have to check my notes. I, I wrote it down somewhere, but of course now I can't find those notes. But like, you know, you buy one box and of course you need all 250 stickers. You buy the second box and you go, ah, oh, this had like 10 duplicates of my first box, whatever. And then the more you buy, the more doubles you get. But the collation was pretty good. And then I was able to make a lot of trades, maybe about 10 trades 
on a website called laststicker.com. That way I was able to like finish my set just by trading with other people. And it's a tough set to put together because unlike Panini, Tops will not sell the stickers individually to customers like Panini would. Like if you needed 30 or less stickers, you could place an order, buy those stickers for 40 cents each, which wasn't cost effective. But if you only needed like 10 stickers, you just pay the $4 and you're done with it. I hate to say, Tim, what's your opinion on the set? Because I know you, you probably don't have an opinion on it too much. I mean, stickers aren't my bag, obviously. I don't really chase them. I mean, I haven't. You know, we've talked about this before. I used to do these when I was a kid all the time. But sort of lost interest with buying the books and chasing down the sticker packs and all of that kind of stuff. Now, you know, because I'm a team collector, I'll, I have a collection of various stickers from different sets that are Penguin related. But I don't have the books and chase down the, the whole whole things. What I do like, what I can tell you that I do like about it is I like the fact that Tops goes back to those retro designs. Even if it is just on the all-star cards, because I think that's cool. And it looks cool. The all-star and the 84-85 inspired rookies, yeah. Yeah, the, the rookies too. They're kind of cool. I don't really like that rookie sticker stamp that's on there. I think that's kind of it's kind of gaudy looking. Well, and they put it in an awkward spot. A lot of times it's at the they bottom do. and you can't really you don't really see it because it's like kind of where the action is or whatever it should be at the top yeah. like where a tops logo would be like why do they have to say rookie sticker i mean you know it's a sticker just say rookie well they can't say rookie card they don't have to say rookie card just say rookie they don't have to say anything other than rookie you know it's a sticker no one's going to think that that's a card not a sticker panini used to put rated rookie on some of its stickers when it had the nhl license they did yeah i think think tops they did the top prospects in 90-91 and then I think they did super rookie in 91-92 or 92 not 92-93 it's 91-92 they did super rookie they could reuse super rookie they could probably pull out any of the IP stuff that they had I don't think anybody else has the the rights to it at this point if, at least from the hockey standpoint heck they could even do the little rookie cup Although that's usually not a rookie. That's like the second year guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The top's all rookie or, yeah, like they had on the baseball cards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's like the second year, sort of. But uh, I just feel like it looks obtrusive on there. Like you took a real good design. You got a nice photo there. And then you slap that on there. Like, ugh. It takes up too much space on there. You know, like one year I would just love it if tops just made their whole sticker album set look like a retro design like if they just said all right we're gonna just make it all look like 7980 yeah or 8889 or 8485 or 7374 any of the many sets that we've talked about i mean last year they used the 7172 with the puffy letters right for uh the rookie subset you know so i mean they they've hit that quite a few times in the past or they would use like for like the superstars they would use like a bunch of different years and they were kind of particular, like in a good way about which years they would use for certain players. Like they would do a Crosby, 
on an 85-86 tops design because you know who had his rookie card in 85-86. Right. Super Mario, right? Or they did like a, a Patrick Kane on like a 91-92, and I had to think for a second, and I go, oh, yeah, Ed Belfour. That would have been his first tops card would have been 91-92 tops, right? So like it like made sense with like, the, the years that they picked, like you'd look and go like, oh yeah, that's right. Iserman's rookie card was that year. So it makes sense to put Dylan Larkin's card on that design or whatever. I don't know if they did that with Larkin that one year, but you get the idea, right? So there's definitely some method to their madness and it, it's kind of cool, but I, I kind of wish that they would do, just do it all one way. And then I will say that I do like the fact that there are mascot stickers. I like mascots. And I, I think they're just kind of fun, you know, to have. And obviously we make fun of them a lot, but like they're still just cool to get stickers of. And if this is something that is supposed to be for kids because they're cheap at a buck a pack, yeah, throw in the mascots. Absolutely, because kids like them. It's much more fun to have that in something that's more kid-friendly or kid-accessible, especially little kids. They get excited about that kind of stuff. See, I think if they were really wanted to make this set accessible to kids, 685 stickers is just way too much. Yeah. How many boxes did you say you, you went through? I bought four boxes because I got them at like $45 a box or something, or maybe I'm talking like with tax. It was like free shipping, but I ended up spending like a little less than a buck a pack. You're going to pay about a buck a pack. If you buy them in the store, it's a buck a pack plus tax. If you buy them online... You're probably looking at about $42 plus tax. I think that's what I paid. I might have had an eBay coupon or whatever. But yeah, I spent like $180. So what were you averaging in like doubles in a box? Like what was your average like how many doubles? So like the first box, there might have been like, oh, here. Actually, I just found my notes. <laughs> what incredible luck. It was just on the front of this uh, notepad that's sitting in front of me. Look at that timing. Yeah. So in my first box, got 200 regular stickers, 50 foil stickers, three doubles in the box of the regular stickers. I kept getting Seth Jones for some reason. I, I somehow ended up with like four or five Seth Jones stickers because sometimes I get them two times in the same box, right? So I got three doubles in the first box. In the second box, there were two doubles within that box. But then there were already 52 duplicates from the previous box. So that put me at 343 regular stickers and 100 foil stickers. So at that point, I had 443 out of 685. My third box only had one double. That was duplicate of the other stickers in that box. But then there were 71 doubles of the paper stickers and 24 doubles of the foil stickers from my previous two boxes. So now at that point, I had 471 regular stickers and 126 foil stickers. So that's 571, 591. So at that point, I was at 597 out of 685 after three boxes, right? So I was in pretty good shape. My fourth box, of course, it had a lot of doubles. There were two doubles in that box within the same box, you know, duplicates from the same box. But then from the previous three boxes, 144 out of 200 paper stickers were ones that I already had. But that means that it still had 54 stickers that I needed. 
and it still had 14 foils that I needed, and then, you know, 36 foils that I didn't need. So then that put me at, actually, that put me at 665 stickers. So I was only 20 stickers short of putting this set together after four boxes. So then I had to make some trades for those last 20 stickers. So yeah, to your point, that it's difficult for a kid to do that. Yeah, there's no kids that are buying four boxes of this just to try to put their sticker all of them together. It's just not happening. No, but at the same time, way back when the stickers were a lot cheaper. Now, of course, a lot of this has to do with the licensing because the NHL and the NHL PA licensing has gone up, which has made the cost of the products go up. Because I think back to like Panini stickers in 88, 89 were a quarter. 89.90, they were 30 cents. And I'm like, oh my God, 30 cents. They went up a nickel. You know, and that was like 30 cents for like six stickers. I mean, adjust that for inflation. We're looking at like maybe that'd be like 80 cents today. But that's for six stickers, not five. And 80 cents is not a dollar, you know. So, I mean, I guess it's it's relative, though. I mean, a buck is a buck, you know. The dollar is the new quarter, as I like to say. I mean... Well, kind of like a lot of things. Like, when I set up and do a garage sale, I never sell stuff for a quarter. It's not worth my time. I'm not going to sit there to make $6 in quarters. It's a buck. If they want it, they'll pay a buck for it. If they don't want it, they won't pay a buck for it. But... I'll go to other people's garage sales and they'll be like, oh, these are 10 cents each. And I'm like, okay, here's 30 cents. Thank you for sitting outside in the middle of July so you can sell me these things for 30 cents. I don't get it. Hey, you'd be surprised. There's people that go to these things and they will haggle over pennies. So, yeah, it happens. Trust me. So, speaking of it happens... There happens to be a few variations and a few errors that I want to talk about. There's four album-exclusive photo variants. So the album comes with 10 stickers that you could put in, you know, so you guess you start off with 10 stickers. It's always the same 10 stickers. Six of them are stickers of players where the stickers are the same as the ones in the packs. But then the other four are album-exclusive. They even say in the um, on the book, Find 10 stickers, including four exclusive stickers inside. So they're basically photo variants of Jason Robertson, Sebastian Ajo, Kale McCarr, and Linus Allmark. So you could either use the ones that come in the album or use the ones that come in the packs, right? Depending if you want to use the album variant or not. But then the other one, which is like a super secret variant, because it hasn't even been listed on last sticker yet, was that... Sticker number 592, Matthew Kachuk, they made two versions of this sticker. One is where he's wearing a Florida Panthers jersey, and the other one is where he's at the All-Star game in an All-Star jersey after winning the car. I assume he won the car because he's standing in front of it. Either that or he's stealing it, one or the other. They did the same thing last year with Claude Giroux, where there were two versions of his All-Star sticker. And so... Uh, as far as I know, this is the only variant that's found in packs. And it's just kind of weird to like, you know, they're both the same number. But then it's like, well, which one do you put in? I guess whichever one you want to. Although this got me thinking because, uh, you know, I'm a completist and I like to like have every version of everything. They have these two pages in the back of the book where it says make your own all-star team. 
I guess because they just had an extra two pages that they had to do something with. Didn't they do that last year too? They did, yeah. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to actually put, I'm going to put the variants next to each other, in somehow on this page on these pages. Makes sense. Because uh, that's how I roll. Yeah. And then besides the variants, there's a couple of errors in the book itself. Where they have the sticker for Dylan Larkin, there's a little tag underneath it that says Al the Octopus. Because I think originally they were going to put Al the Octopus in that spot, but then they didn't, and they ended up putting Dylan Larkin there. Seems like a fair trade. Yeah, but the thing is, is that Topps made the exact same error last year, where they put, like, the spot for Dylan Larkin was also the spot for L the Octopus, but then they decided not to make an L the Octopus sticker. Huh. So that's one mistake. Almost like they copied and pasted it. Almost like they copied and pasted it, right? And then the other mistake they made was the Stanley Cup, uh, on the Stanley Cup pages, they label it stickers number 280 through 285, but it's actually stickers 680 through 685. So Somebody saw a six, thought it was a two, typed it in wrong or whatever. I don't know. Tops regrets the error. No, I actually don't know if they do. They don't care. They always say that, right? We regret the error, right? Yeah, exactly. Gonna go out on a limb and say Tops could give a crap. Right, yeah. Tops is like, damn it, we didn't get the card license again. Yeah, we're we're never gonna get the NHL license at this rate. Yeah, well... I don't know. I think they do a solid job with their sticker set, but that's just me. That's just me, you know? The only thing that I really am perplexed by is that they did not figure out a way to put Connor Bedard in this set. And I thought they were going to because they kept delaying the release of the set. It didn't come out till like December. So it came out late last year, long enough for Bedard to be photographed, and to be included in the set. And by photographed, I mean photographed wearing a Blackhawk jersey at the draft. That's all they would have to do. It doesn't have to be a picture of him playing, or it could be photoshopped, like the way they photoshopped Seth Jones a couple of years ago. I know I used, I mentioned him earlier, but there's a really bad sticker from about two seasons back where they photoshopped him, and, and it looks terrible. And the hockey stick looks like way too long for him anyways. It's just kind of like a ridiculous Photoshop job. But, you know, they said, oh, Seth Jones is a big deal. We should make sure that we have a sticker of him as a Blackhawk. But then going on like previous uh, or historical, uh, what do you call it? Like just going back in history, 0809, Steven Stamkos, he was included in the Panini sticker set. They just had a picture of him in a practice jersey from training camp. And see, that's what I don't I don't get that either. It doesn't make sense. What doesn't make sense? Like why he's not in there. Like you're right. They had plenty of time. What's the reasoning behind it? Has anybody said anything? I think maybe the thing that's hard about this is that because there's an album and the album has the name and biographical information under where the sticker goes, like height, weight, birthplace, and stuff like that. So you'd have to print the album, and if he wasn't in the league this year for whatever reason, then they couldn't use those albums. But they could have waited till October 10th and then just, like, gone to print, you know, and just 
swapped it for a different player if he wasn't in. But of course, they'd want to put him in all the, the subsets, like the rookie subset, the iced out subset, whatever subset, right? Like they would want to like put him in as many stickers as they could, right? Like Devin Levi has a rookie sticker and he has a regular sticker on the Buffalo Sabres two-page spread. Certain rookies, rookie stickers, even get the foil treatment and the regular sticker treatment, depending who they are. And as far as the rookie stickers that they include, they're all guys that played at least one game the previous season, the 22-23 season, so they can include them in this year's set without much trouble. But yeah, I thought it was disappointing they didn't put Bedard in this set because it would have probably driven sales like it did for his top Snell stickers. Are all the other usual suspect rookies there for this year? Well, I'll uh, I'll tell you. Let me just flip on over to the rookie two-page spread. Or let me ask you, are there any surprises that are included that you wouldn't have thought they would be included? Uh, no, I mean Shane Wright's in there, Gerard Slavkovsky, Oscar Olison, Jake Sanderson, Simon Holmstrom, Matt Corantato, Wyatt Johnson, Dylan Gunther, Yaroslav Askarov, Kirill Marchenko, Brock Faber, Atu Rahi, Matthias Maselli, Kent Johnson, Owen Beck, Brant Clark, Devin Levi, Luke Hughes, and Matthew Nees. So these are mostly last year's rookie crop with some of this year's sprinkled in. Yes. Okay. Because they always make, you know, like in the case of like Wright and Slavkovsky, they played last season. They had their upper deck rookie cards last season because upper deck makes sets all year round and stuff. Tops only prints their sticker set in the fall and then puts it out fall winter. Right. So, yeah. So in the case of like knees and Levi, yeah, they played a handful of game the previous year. So, of course, they were an Upper Deck Series 1 this year. And then they were also able to be included in the sticker set. So this is like, there are some examples in like the past few top sets, top sticker sets, where they've had rookie stickers of guys during their quote-unquote rookie season because they played a few games late last season and nobody made a rookie card of them then until that fall. So a lot of those guys that you mentioned there, have rookie cards in last year's normal card sets. Yes. So, but you got to mix. So like, I didn't, I didn't hear you mention any of like the, like the other guys like from this year. So Mm-mm. yeah, maybe that's why Bedard's not there. Yeah, no, that that's what it is. But what I'm saying is that like in the past, Panini figured out a way to put in stamp posts. I know that like, I want to say in 0809, they did a Stamkos sticker. I think that was his rookie year. And they also yeah. did a sticker of Marion Hosa as a Red Wing because he had signed with the Red Wings in the summer of 08. And so then he was in the uh, as a Red Wing in the 0809 Panini album. But again, I'm talking about Panini now. So they maybe took, right. took a few more risks or whatever. I mean, they knew... Hoso is going to play with the Red Wings. The problem wasn't making a sticker of him. The problem was making a sticker of a rookie like Stamkos and then just sticking him in there without him having played any games up to that point. Right. Hops could even do something like redeem 10 packs and 
$3 for shipping and get the last 10 stickers you need for your set. And then they could have just made like rookies on like just these pages where you don't really have any like names or whatever. You could just have like numbers, you know what I mean? Like to get stickers number 686 through 700, send $5 and 30 empty wrappers to this address and you'll get the last 15 stickers, right? And then they could make right. the last couple pages could be those, right? See, I could work for tops. I could out tops tops. I could top tops. And with how tops now is, I mean, it's print on demand. They give you the general picture of what it's going to look like. And then here, go order them. And then we'll print them after the fact. So, I mean, you, you know, they have the capability of doing that. Well, like think of like 0304 tops hockey, where you had to order the last 10 or so rookie cards, like Mark Andre Fleury and, and the rest of those guys, because they weren't in tops. They weren't in the tops update. They weren't like that final update that you had to mail away for. Right. So, I mean, right. You could totally do stuff like that. And and I think like if Tops did something like that with the sticker sets so that they didn't feel so out of date by the time you got them, because like you said, all of these rookies were rookies last year. So it's kind of like the old school method where like they were a rookie last season. So they get their rookie card this season. Remember when you'd have to wait a year or more to get a rookie card of a player. And now it's like, the guy plays a game and he gets 15 rookie cards. And that's not even counting all the parallels. No, I think even more so they could have used that rookie cup then. Because <laughs> technically those guys are in their next second season. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So uh, thank you for indulging me about my uh, desire to talk about the Topps Hockey sticker set. I mean... It's, it's kind of hard. We don't really talk about leaf products because we don't buy them. We don't have them in hand to look at and, you know, to really ooh and ah over. And, like, you know, we talk about a lot of the upper deck cards because, of course, they are, like, the only player in town, really, when it comes to licensed NHL hockey trading cards. So, you know, to talk about just another licensed hockey set, even though they're stickers, I like it. Believe it or not, I mean, I have... I want to say most of the sticker sets since 1988. I even have them in like those, you know, like the magazine files that you could buy at the office supply store, the real nice ones. They have like velvet on the inside. That's what I put my sticker albums in. Wow. Well, the ones that are like six bucks, they put rivets in them, right? They hold them together with rivets. Rivets right. that snag the covers of your books. So I'll spend the $20 and get like nice big magazine files that are like kind of like velour on the inside. And then I put my sticker albums in that. And I know that sounds weird, but it's not weird at all. No. Hey man, it's not weird if it works, right? You know, could you imagine spending, you know, $200 completing a sticker album and then you put it in a magazine file and then the rivet that's holding it together snags yeah. the pages? That would suck. I understand the reasoning behind I mean, you're going to put the money into it and the time and the effort and everything to put it together. You might as well treat it nicely. It makes sense. And I usually buy an extra album that I keep blank and that I'll, I'll put in like a bag. And then I have just like one magazine file that's just full of like empty albums. I think I got like one or two with empty albums. And then I have like four broken down by decade, yeah. like the 80s, the 90s early 2000s, the late 2000s, you know, because they, they kept getting bigger and bigger and then you put the stickers in them and then they become thick. 
and then I have one that's just sets in progress so that if I get like three stickers and like a sticker trade, I could just go to that magazine file and grab the incomplete album or an incomplete album, right? I don't have to like dig through, but once they're complete, then I file them with the other ones. But like I said, it's only weird if it doesn't work. Your velvety magazine box. It's like my, one of my base cases is a coffin and it's got nice velvet interior. Yeah. Why not, man? Yeah. I know. Like who the hell spends $20 at Staples on a padded magazine file? Well, I do. Cause you know, it's about what's inside that counts, right? It's true. Like I said, you're going to put forth the time and the effort to make it nice and, and go for it. You might as well protect it. Yeah. I thought about like bagging and boarding them like comic books, but then I'm like, yeah, but then every time I want to look at one, I have to like take it out of the bag and board. And that's kind of a pain, but I don't know. I think they're ones I haven't looked at in a while. So maybe, um, Oh, you know what might actually work for these is like companies like BCW, they make like thick top loaders for like programs. Yeah, the programs or magazine ones, yeah. That might work for these. I don't know. Still seems like kind of like a pain. They're always open on the top so the dust would get in at the top, but so I guess it's not really any better or worse, but whatever. Unless you sleeve them and then bag them. You could do that. Yeah, put the bag on top, put it down on top of it. I don't know. But at the end of the day, they're just sticker albums. And once you stick the sticker in the album, for the most part, it's worth less. You know, you look for like vintage sticker albums and you could still find empty ones. But a lot of times you'll find one with like where somebody put in like 40 stickers in it and then just gave up on it. You know, so it's easier to find an incomplete album than like a totally empty album. And that's how you will find most of the ones that I still have. We'll have a few in them, and that is it. should go to laststicker.com and complete your uh, sticker sets. Oh, I there's no, not happening. Too many. There's way too many I need for most of those. All right. So any last thoughts before we wrap this one up? Before we put a pin in it and stick it? No reason for me to stick around anymore. <laughs> that's the one. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Puck Jug Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed this show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to tell your friends. Please leave us a review on whatever provider you listen to this podcast on. If you feel like supporting this podcast, you could do so by purchasing a t-shirt at shop.puckjunk.com. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.